Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Twisted Fairy Tale series, and co-founder of Majavi. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not-so-happy path in your career, I want to help you dig through the weeds and get to the roots of what may be holding you back from growing and succeeding in your industry. The mindset when you have to overcome when things don't go your way. So join me in the woods. Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Twisted Fairy Tale series, and the co-founder of Majavi. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not-so-happy path in your career, join me in the woods. Uh, today I have a very special guest. Please, you know, you can get on me later if I mispronounce it, Elizabeth Farrell. Very special guest. I actually worked with her in the past on, well, kind of on a side, but at the same company. She is what I would like to consider a application onboarding specialist. Uh, she's worked in product owner, uh, product consultant. She's also been a developer. She was one of the co-founders of uh, Women Who Code, the New York branch. She's worked with many different organizations from Timing to Amex. To, she also now is, um, has a new startup company that I definitely want to get into later, EMO, EMO, but it stands for Easy Mobile Onboarding. So welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you, James? I am doing great. So one of the things that I that really impressed me about you is I've worked in tech for, for over two decades now, and I've worked with many different scrum teams, product owners, product managers, project managers, and one key element that I've found is usually the product owners of the scrums know about the product, but they know about the product, but they're not from the developer side. You have a unique perspective just for the simple fact as you actually code, you've taught coding, you've taught JavaScript. You're, you know, you at one point, you were global ambassador of the women who code uh, nonprofit organization. How have you used that as, as part of your, your growth of your company and your consulting? It, does that perspective kind of help you when you're speaking to your clients? Yeah, I mean, every perspective helps when you're speaking to clients. And when I was working with clients, which I no longer do, I find it very interesting to have all these different perspectives because I, I did used to code. I, um, I dropped out of college to be a software engineer at Time Inc. when I was 19. So I, I have done a lot of front-end work. I have um, I transitioned into being a mobile app developer. From there, I transitioned into being product manager, product consultant. And now I am founding my company, which is going to be a platform for mobile onboarding. And what I find is that like every perspective is a valuable one. And, and it is incredibly useful and helpful to know how how the sausage gets made <laughs> for lack of a better exactly <laughs> so in your so you've you've kind of i don't want to say switch careers but you've just gone down different paths when you were going through college you know you say you dropped out you went you know worked that timing as a software engineer was this something the path that you took was this something that you planned or were you kind of winging it like how did you i mean that's a I know, for instance, I'm a developer. I'm never going to be a product owner. It's just not going to happen. So how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What an awesome question. I think. Um, I think something that I have I've learned is like not don't do the thing that doesn't serve me. You know, don't take a like. I don't know. I get, you know, everybody has a piece of advice for you, right? Like what is going to make the most amount of money or what they think that you might, might like to do. But unless you try it out and you like to do that thing, it's firsthand lived experience. And I'll give that as an example of software. Like I, I really wanted to be a software engineer and I studied by algorithms and data structures. And right after I exited high school, I, um, I joined a program at Google and I was there for three weeks learning computer science. And that gave me some significant hands-on, here's what the application of the software is, rather than just like what I was doing in high school, which was watching Bloomberg West with my dad and um, and just like ide ideating different startup ideas. Um, 
so yeah, I, I like your question because like, no, I never planned to become a product manager, but I, I realized that the joy for me of software was diminishing and I didn't like it as much as I, as I thought I would like it. And I started looking for another career. I started looking for another thing that I would like doing more. And I really, really liked doing product. And then I really, really liked doing consulting. And then I, now I really, really like being a no coder and, and, um, and yeah, so I'm just following, like, I'm following me. <laughs> so you have, you've been successful in many different fields. You've worked at yeah. fortune 500 companies. You have your startup company. I know I'm the same way. I actually look back at what I've done. I was like, wow, I actually did that. You've, you, <laughs> you were a co you were a co-founder of women who code. Then you, uh, you know, went to a director and then a global ambassador. So you know what it, it's like to, to move up, to take those next steps, taking on more responsibilities, uh, becoming fully responsible for your team and your company and its growth. What was kind of your origin story? Because there's a, there's a totally different mindset from being the product owner for a company and being that application onboarding specialist guru at your own company, where you're actually teaching and showing other companies how they can do it and improve that process to kind of, you know, improve their, their conversions or, you know, all the things that you do. Yeah. What molded you, what kind of molded you and kind of gave you the skill sets and a mindset to be able to succeed as much as you have, no matter what you've decided to do? Yeah. What an awesome question. I, for me, what that sparks for me is I was a junior developer at Time Inc building front end web apps and um, and I would do that eight, 10, 12 hours of the day. And then I would go to a meetup in the evening, um, that I was not only running, but that I was speaking at and potentially hosting like a panel over. And, and then I would be like in charge of that. And so it, it remarked to me like the massive, um, in some ways it, it, it was, it was just so funny. Like during the day I was taking, I'm not taking orders, but I was, you know, I was trying to learn as much as possible and incorporate that into, um, into my work. But I had my boss and many, many, many layers of bosses above me because that is media companies. Um, and then at, in the evening when I was running my meetups and running my developer community, like I was the boss and other people were asking me if, if, things were were okay or correct or where to set things up and, and so I, so I just like want to point out that paradox of like you know for, for me you know since I started my tech career I've always been like absolute learner and then in some way owner master captain of my own ship and and you know you go from expert to novice learner you know in in 10 minutes right as soon as I exit the building, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the expert and I'm heading off to run this meetup. So yeah, I, I think of that, uh, that paradox and as for me as like setting up a really, really great foundation of, um, I really love to learn. And so I really have kept that throughout my entire career of trying to be just as humble as possible. I can was there see a your person face or th was, was there a person or a... Or an event that kind of sparked you to say, you know what, nine to five is cool, but this business ownership, entrepreneurship is is something that that's going to be my end game. That's what I want to do eventually. Was there a moment, or you just kind of saw and was like, you know what, that looks a lot more attractive than than what I'm doing now. There wasn't a moment. I have been, I have had my full time gig and my multiple side hustles for my entire career. Um, but you started like that. I started like that. And I was like, and I, um, you know, <laughs> and first it was like, I'm employed at a company and then I was employed at a company and then I was employed by myself and I still had my side hustles. And so it never, it's just like, like, what is work-life balance? It's never really changed. And so it's funny because now people are, uh, as I, as I raise money for my company, easy mobile onboarding, emo, EMO, um, it's funny because like one question I always get asked is, is this your first company? And I'm like, not really. <laughs> like I've like done like lots of side hustles before. Um, right. I've managed lots of tech, tech teams and, but it's all been on the side. So yeah, I, I guess it's my first company. Ooh, la la. 
<laughs> like we're having fun here because it's my first thing, but that's not really true. Um, yeah, so I, I've been I've been consulting on people's startups on on their engineering stack, on their product stack, um, how they should be doing it, who they should hire for like my entire career. And it's magically become a career <laughs> rather than just like a right. sector that, that has been thrown together. So what, is there any advice? Let's say you could speak to 18-year-old you. You know, you're in college, you, you left, you, you went to the Time Inc. Is there any advice that you would want to give to yourself back then or to someone who comes up to you and say, you know, can you mentor me? What advice would you give someone who wants to pursue a career similar to yours? Rather it be a job, rather having your side hustle, rather be starting your own company or just, you know, tech and product owners, you know, being a product owner. I have noticed that I have become a lot happier in the past three, four years that I've started working for myself. Um, I know that's not the advice that our parents give us. I know that's not the advice that like most people get, but I have, I'm just really happy right now. Um, I, and I, I, so that's not advice. That's just like a state of mind and a, and a feeling that I have every day. It doesn't mean that things aren't blowing up in my face every day. It doesn't mean that I don't have family problems. It doesn't mean I don't have financial problems. It just means like, <laughs> you're like laughing. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because I'm like, wow, it's not just me. I'm much happier when I'm doing my own projects. Yeah. People ask me about my, my, you know, what I do, my consultant and my day job. I'm like, yeah, it's going good. And then they'll ask me, oh, what are you working on? And I'll say work. And it was like, oh, you're working on your, no, no, no. Five, six o'clock. I give them my blood, sweat and tears from the moment I step in to the moment I leave. The moment I leave, I'm not on call. Don't call me. I said I'm working <laughs> on my own projects and I'm much happier doing my, my own projects because it's yeah. something I want to do. And the yeah. day job, it's tech. So I love tech. But it's it's not my tech, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So as long as I'm working on my my own projects, I can be cutting edge. I can do research on stuff that I want to do. I can try things out. There's only a certain level of try out that you can do when you're working for someone else. Yeah. And and there's just like so many different pressures. You know, are we pleasing our boss? Are we making, you know, are we comfortable in this role? Do we want to move up? Are there like protocols for us to move up? You know, all these different like nuances that we work in among a job environment. And I, yeah. So you asked like how I would mentor someone um, or like, what is one piece of advice? And I, the one piece of advice that I tell myself is everything can be taught. Um, I have two younger brothers. I have taught my youngest brother how to drive over two years of painstaking, painstaking. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, just like driving on highways and learning how to park. And, and, and so I, I bring that up as an, ex as an example of just like, like my brother is dyslexic. So I had to like learn how to oh, okay, cool. structure it for him. Um, you know, so we had our tiers, we had our like tier a, like, okay, we're just going to learn how to like hold the steering wheel, then just press the brake, then just press the gas tier tier B. Okay. We're com starting to combine skills. Okay. We're going around the uh, parking lot and we're just parking taking a, like a right turn. Okay. Uh, you know, and so all these permutations and combinations there. And I, I bring that up as like an example because like everyone can relate to learning how to drive and tech is no difference. <laughs> like I'm taking an AI Absolutely course not. right now and I love it. And I think it's super fascinating. Um, and I, I think that that's just like maybe core inherent me is, is like just, I think everything can be taught. And if people are going to be like high and mighty about it, it means that they've been like in a manager position way too long. <laughs> that's I, I totally agree with you from the tech side. Cause I've actually had people come to me and they see the final product of some of the things that I've built. And they're like, I can never do that. And I tell them, I said, learning technology is a skill set. It's not really a talent. There's some people who have talent, but it's you can learn it. It's just you have to take baby steps, learn the basic, the foundations. Another perfect example is uh, I, I actually draw also not as good as I used to be. And there was mm -hmm. a, a guy that I was uh, working with before. <clears throat> um, and... We had a class at a nonprofit 
And one of them, we used to do in school after school workshops. Mm -hmm. And he did this course where a lot of people in the class were saying, I can't draw. And he was like, everyone can draw. You just need to know the basics. So he basically told everyone, he gave him everyone a sheet of paper. He was like, I want you to do exactly what I'm doing. He was like, draw this circle. The guy draw a circle. He was like, draw. He was like, can you draw a box? He drew a box. He was like, can you draw a straight line? He was like, yes. Yeah. Can you draw a triangle? Yes. And when he put all those together, he did it in a certain way. I can't remember. It was so long ago what exactly it was, but it was physically a drawing that he made specifically with circles, lines, squares, triangles. And after he did that, it clicked in everyone in the mind's class. I mean, everyone in the, in the class's mind. He's like, wow, if you learn the basics, I mean, I may not be a Picasso, but I will definitely be able to draw, you know, what I see as long as I can see what those different elements are in that piece of art. So it's mm. the same thing with anything. You can definitely, if you learn the, 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 the basics and the foundation, you can build on that. Same thing with AI. When you're talking about, uh, I can't remember the term offhand, but there's um, when you have the data and when you don't have the data. So it's like, if you have the data, there's a different way of learning. And then when you don't mm -hmm. have that data and you kind of have to group them together. Mm -hmm. If you think of it from that perspective, originally, it is mind blowing. It's like, wow, you're creating machine that can think for itself. But then when you break it down, and you're saying, okay, well, these things are grouped in categories. And you're teaching a computer to say, this when it sees this, this is in its category. When you break it down into those little pieces, and then you build on that foundation little by little by little over years, you know, the 10,000 hours, you become that expert. And then you can physically learn anything, whether it be finance, rather be business, rather be product ownership, AI, tech, anything. So I 100% agree with you on that aspect. No, yeah, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I you know, I, I think that I think, you know, I've thought about why this is such a, you know, what has made us have this, this mentality that like people are, um, what is it that people are naturally good, that they have talent. Um, there's this really, really great book that debunked a lot of this for me. It's called Grit, um, G-R-I-T by Angela Duckworth. And she talks about being gritty, about um, sticking with something. If you know that you want, like passion doesn't immediately come. First, it's just interest and intrigue. And then you start doing the thing. What is the thing? The thing is, okay, I'm just learning how to do some HTML, CSS. I'm just learning how to make a very basic website. And then I start getting into that and you're like, wait, I actually really, really like this. I really want to do this animation on my website. Okay. And then you start getting into the JavaScript. Okay. And, and you stay with it and you're very gritty. And at the end, you have a passion for it. So you, you never, you never start off with a passion. I think, you know, I think that this is what, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musk, even right. like, oh, the passion came from magic. That's not how it happens. That's not like, that's not how people learn. Um, even them, they, they, they learned by, they, they were interested, they were intrigued and then they kept with it. They put dozens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours into it. And then right. they were experts. So I, I, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that like the Cinderella story is very rampant. I, unfortunately in the American society of which I've grown up in, um, right. Uh, you know, born and raised here. And I'm just like very cognizant of, of people being like, yeah, I have talent in this space or, you know, this God given gift. And that's like, it's only, it's only, it's only true if you foster it. And yeah, you have to put your own time and you have to be very gritty. Um, now, in regards yeah. to the, the gritty and putting on your own time, yeah. obviously, as you go through your career, things change. Uh, there's new skills that you have to learn, different projects that you're working on. So you need to learn the information for that particular product or that company that you're working with. Uh, what are some of the resources that you've used to, to keep you up to date, keep you on the cutting edge, keep you kind of in the know of the industry you're working in so that you, you know, when you go to a client, and they ask you, do you know this or know that? Maybe you don't know, but it's something that you need to learn. Do you have like your go-tos or resources, meetups, books, articles, videos? 
Oh, James, I'm going to have a shitty answer for you here. No, I don't really. My, my, <laughs> I've just learned over the years, I've just become a better, you know, it, what is it? This is the joke, the recurring joke for software engineers, right? Like, you know, what have I learned over 10 years of experience is just to become a better Googler. Um, you know? <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I also just want to say, like, it would be really great if I had amazing resources. I tend to get the majority of my knowledge from talking to people whose company I enjoy, and not just um, and and hanging out with people. But I will also say, James, I'm probably far more out of the know. Like, I, I find that you can you cannot be in the know and also a deep thinker, a deep deep worker. And I spend a lot of my time on projects um, and building. And what that means that I don't spend time on is TechCrunch or on, right. you know, on, on reading what the latest and greatest is. So, I, you know, I'm just going to like say I, I, I have a trade off and I quite enjoy the building more than I like, you know, hearing that some company is raised five million based off of some new technology that, you know, anyway, <laughs> going on a tangent. <laughs> I'm a very, I, I say the same thing regard. I've actually done that in, in interviews where people have asked me, oh, do you know such and such? And I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never had to work with that, but I, I think I could figure it out. You know, a couple of Google, some articles and building something out. But Google has definitely been my, my number one best friend. You can find literally <laughs> anything. And when I say anything, anything on Google, YouTube, it's, all the information is out there, just a matter of you're willing to put in the work and the hours to actually learn what you need to learn. So I, I can definitely understand that. Now, okay, maybe you don't have resources, but you did say, you know, you're working with different people, different companies, people you like to uh, have around you. Are there, you know, two, three people that you would say were kind of influential to you? That were, you know, it might be someone you know directly, or it might just be someone that you know of that, oh, I want to be like that guy one day. Were there any people who kind of influence what you're doing now? Um, Mentors, role models. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to actually take that question and turn it into a different one, um, if okay. that's okay. And I'm going to say- Yeah, absolutely. Who, uh, who is around me? Who's my, you know, what is it? We always talk about like social networks and about, you know, the five people around us are our biggest influences in the world and who are my five. Right. Um, and the reason I'm going to turn that question around is because I, I'm having trouble thinking of like mentors and, and others, but I'll tell you, I have an excellent workflow and people around me right now. And, um, and I'll just tell you exactly who they are. One is my partner. Um, who is brilliant and I love him and he is a community growth thinker, hacker, um, and is always reading. He reads nonfiction like I read fiction. <laughs> um, uh, another is my no-code mentor. Um, he and I meet every day for an hour. Uh, he actually just left, which is why I was oh, okay. late for this meeting, because um, we I see him in person one day a week. Um, oh, cool. And he tutors me in no code every day, which is an awesome accountability. Um, the third person is my work wife, um, who is building. I called her. I call her my work wife because she's like she's my coworker, but like we're not building anything together. <laughs> but right. she's she's building a fashion tech startup, and she and I sit together at our coworking space at the coworking space that I that I convinced her to come to, <laughs> and she and I have been working together next to each other for three months, and it's awesome to just have someone going through um you know the highs and the lows with you um uh, and the fourth person is my startup coach who i meet once a week uh with and he and i meet for 30 minutes and we talk about fundraising and all the all the blind uh blind side all the all the points that i'm not thinking about um and then fifth would probably be my family so you know probably my mom um and that's like that's my workflow um, and I feel incredibly supported by that. How does that feel to you as an answer? <laughs> no, that's, that's actually perfect. Cause what I would say is I, I have a, a circle of five and my friends and my colleagues are probably sick of hearing their names, but <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very firm believer of having, um, a circle of accountability. 
So the simple fact you have someone that's coming every day, you have your, uh, the, what do you call it? The, the work wife. My you have work your, wife. Your, yeah, you <laughs> Nothing have your, romantic. Your, and she's just like, she's just my accountability partner. I know exactly. It's accountability. And accountability yeah. is very, very, very important. Because I know sometimes with uh, when it comes to writing, I have this thing that I tell everyone, I, I write a minimum of three to five. Well, I'm, I can't give you a range. I write a minimum <laughs> of three pages every day. And there'll be times that I don't want to do it. I just had a bad day. I just feel like resting. I want to binge watch Netflix for four hours. Or I want to read, I want to binge read a hundred episodes of my a brand new manga that I found. And they'll literally ping me be like, hey, so how many pages did you read right today? <sighs> None. <laughs> He's like, then what are you doing right now? what I'm not supposed to be doing. You're like, yeah, I'm going to hit you back in a little bit and get the writing. So that accountability partner, because success is definitely a buildup of a little bit of work every single day over a long period of time. So the thing is, if you break that habit and you don't have someone accountability partner and there are a couple of days that slip, those days can become weeks, those weeks can be months. So I, in a way that that is very true that those accountability partners can definitely have a huge impact on, on your growth. I also just want to say like everybody learns very differently. And I, I think that like finding the way that you learn, which just kind of means like finding what, what do you want to do? How do you best want to ingest that information and not going for generalities? Like you must read all the nonfiction books or you must be working, you know, from nine to five. If you're a night worker, then like lean into it. <laughs> like then that's right. your time and, and, you know, make sure that you can do that. For example, um, uh, I was living in Honolulu, uh, like my, my partner and I moved three times in COVID. We moved back to New Jersey, then to upstate New York, then uh, third time is Honolulu. And Honolulu, you're six hours behind. All of our meetings are for the most part on the East Coast. And so we're six hours, you know, by the time that we wake up at 6 a.m., um, we're, you know, we're already six hours behind. And our first meeting is at 8 a.m. because that's, you know, because you've got four hours of meeting and that's like two to right. two to six p.m. EST. And I'll give you this example because I started waking up every day at four thirty, um, and and I was like, I do not like myself if I just wake up and hop on a meeting. I really want to do some deep work first, uh, and I really want to spend some time just like on myself, on my business, on my writing. So I was waking up and doing deep work from 4.30 to 7.30 every day. And then I would hop on my first meeting. And and, it, and my goodness gracious, that was really hard. It meant that we had to be back from surfing every time at 7.30 so that I could get to bed at 8. Um, it was really, really hard to push my... To my uh, but anyway, so I give that as an example of just like everybody's learning style is different and you're going to experiment like crazy about it. Um, so like lean into what works for you. I'm not going to let you slip. I just heard you say you slip in surfing. You surf? Oh, I used to. I mean, in Honolulu, <laughs> we used to surf. Yeah. It Was that like a, a way of kind of de-stressing for the day? Um, we did it once, twice a week. Uh, and I had never surfed consistently ever before. I will also say <laughs> I wear glasses and I am like pretty blind and I, I I have astigmatism so like it'd be funny because like too. the the ocean floor would be like a foot below but I like would never let my feet touch the ocean because I didn't know where it was and everything was just a blur so um anyway yeah so I learned to surf out there it was great that was that was really fun um but it was also very scary to just like have like blobs everywhere <laughs> The reason I was asking, uh, were you using that as a distressor? It was kind of a side note. I actually had a conversation with a couple of my friends this morning. Uh, you know, sometimes you you hit a point where it's life kind of gets to you. So mm -hmm. I, I was just asking, was that kind of one of the things I believe everyone needs a break sometimes? People may believe they'll never burn out. Trust me, you will eventually. So you have to have those uh, quality time. Um, I know some people use like the, the Zen app. 
Some people like to draw, write, you know, poetry to get out their feelings. Some people like to play sports. Some people like to run, bike. I was just asking because I was thinking, wondering if uh, surfing just happened to be yours. Yeah, in Honolulu, it was um, something, a hobby that I learned in Honolulu that I that now I still do in New York is I sew. Um, so I've sewed lots of things, um, bags, uh, aprons, lots of pillowcases, way, way too many pillowcases. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I really enjoy sewing because it is non-technical and I really don't want to look at a screen for my hobby. Um, yes. And, and, uh, I really love reading fiction books. So like, I, I don't know, like going, you know, I, I think that with my partner and I, like we find new ways to detox, um, you know, and to, to chill and to, con um, to adapt to whatever is local. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So here's a big one. Some people have, you know, have difficulty thinking what it is, but everyone has it. What are, what is a common myth? or something in your profession or you feel that you would like to debunk or explain the reality of what it is? Hmm. In my field, I... You have several of them, so it doesn't have to be tech. It could be product, it could be business, anything. You have to have had one question someone asked you, was like, come on, man, seriously? <laughs> I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I'm sure like I run into these things all the time uh, with with people saying like stupid and I'm, I'm sure that I run into things all the time where like people say ridiculous stuff and I, I just filter it out. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the one that like immediately sparks and comes to mind because you and I are like kind of on this train of learning and, and doing is um <laughs> is like, is your special? <laughs> I don't know if that's a myth, but like, I feel like that's a very um, well-worn narrative of many, many households is that their child is special and has special skills. Um, ah. And I, yes. and I, I mean, like, I think I'm a wonderful human. I like myself quite a lot. And I, I also know that everything that I have, that I am is like, <laughs> Um, through a lot of work and through a lot of learning. And so I, I think I, you know, I, I want to debunk maybe that, you know, a very large myth of that. I, I hope children aren't listening to this and being like, what? <laughs> what? But that soccer trophy for like, you know, like most community spirit meant so much to me. Um. But yeah, I think that would be the one that I that I think I turn to most, and especially in the tech fields where we're making a huge amount of money. The people who raise are, I mean, just by going off of stats of who raises the most and and how is like there's lots of white men who who raise millions and millions of dollars based off of absolutely nothing, um, whereas like the stakes are really high if you're a person of color uh, and a woman. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I think that's something that I come back to is like, you're not special and everything can be learned. So that's the myth. <laughs> Sorry if I'm like hurting dreams here. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I'm a firm believer. People need to hear uh, the truth. They need to hear what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Mm. I like that a lot, James. So say it again. Oh, I like that a lot, James. Oh, yeah, I, I tell everyone that I, I like to surround myself, my circle of friends. One of the the main points of the people that I like close around me is I don't want any yes men around me. If what I'm doing is unethical, wrong, stupid, uh, tell me. I'd rather you tell me now than I put it out there to the world and someone else tell me that. And it'd be in a critical moment that could be the... That, that factor that decides if I succeed or not. So I'm, I'm a firm believer of people need to hear what they need to hear, not what they mm. want to hear. So I like to switch things up a little bit now. Let's say you were the interviewer and I'm the interviewee. Is there something that you would have liked me to ask you that I have not? Or is there a question that you would like to ask me? Who? What would I like to ask you, James? Um, 
Or it could be something I you want me to ask you. Doesn't have to be about me. No, I I find it very <laughs> odd to be on this side of the table. <laughs> I love hearing about Everyone people does. in their lives. Yeah, um, that's fair. Um, yeah, I think I would love to. Uh, I know, like, I'm. First of all, I took a podcast course and never released and like recorded three very large episodes that never released anything. So I, I, you know, so I just maybe want to set the. Um, the initial uh this conversation is like i am very impressed that you are releasing your podcast and that you know like obviously this is not only a goal um but it is something like very measurable and achievable and so something that i really admire about you james is how much you're writing and how crucial it is to your to your larger long-term success of your authorship so i i think i would ask you a lot more about that about what um uh what was it about writing that uh, was fulfilling to you and what itch does it scratch and where do you hope to go with it? So writing was the first passion I've ever had. Mm. I've been writing since I was five years old, had my first poem published in the, the Christmas play when I was six. I wrote something for the school and the school liked it so much. They actually asked my mom if they could use it in the, the Christmas play because I went to Lutheran school. So I've been writing literally my entire life. I've been in, and when I was younger, um, writing wasn't the cool thing. So most people had no idea that I was writing all the time. I was writing poems and essays and short stories. I used to play this game, uh, wouldn't it be scary with my friends that they hated it, where we literally just be walking down the street and I'll be like, you know, wouldn't it be scary? And they're like, oh my God, not this again. And I would create this like scenario of something we were doing now, uh, and, you know, just try to scare people just from my words. So writing was always what I was really, really good at. But because of people that I looked up to as mentors and role models were telling me, oh, you're really good at math and science. You should go to Georgia Tech for electrical engineering and computer science. So that was why I went to the tech field. But writing was always my passion. So my mom would always tell me, you know, writing is absolutely, you know, what your that's your true talent. She was like, yeah, I know you make a lot of money with the tech field. You own these businesses. But if you want to ask me my opinion, what I think you should be pursuing, it should be writing. So back in 2006, I uh, started writing um, a book called Spiral Valley, which is my first book. Mm -hmm. And when I say I went berserk on this book, my first book, the first draft was about 796 pages. <laughs> so I actually had a manager at the time and she read through the book. She like, it's incredible, but it's long. So the, I, I found there was a lot of fluff. So she helped me through the editing process. And I started getting more skilled about the structure of stories and the actual layout of the words. And I started to gain even more of a passion for it when I realized it wasn't just the writing and the story. There's actually an art to how you format and structure it. So I ended up editing that book down from seven seven ninety six. It was it was around eight hundred pages down to it was released at five ninety six. So mm. I had to cut out like two hundred pages of of this book that I worked so hard towards. And so for so after that, there was a situation that happened, and I literally did not write another book until last year. Mm. So I went what was that two thousand fourteen years without writing another book, but. I was still writing every day. So I would write, you know, there would writing has always been my escape, my get away from the computer screen. So when I write poetry, yes, I can type it up, but there's just something special about having a pen and a physical notebook and just writing it on a sheet of paper. So mm -hmm. I literally have a stack of over 1,500, 2,000 poems that I was writing over those years that I could release at any time, but nobody knew as I was writing it. That was just my escape. That was my passion. And that was just continuously getting, you know, my just always keeping that neural pathway in my brain that when I decided to write again, then I would be able to write again. So long term, um, I definitely, you know, I'm writing the Twisted Fairy Tales series. I'm writing the second book now that I'm hoping to finish at the end of this month or beginning of November. And then I'll be finishing the third book. Um, and the end of first quarter, 
beginning of second quarter of 2022, it takes me about two, three months to write a book of about 300 pages. Because if you break it down, was it five pages a day? You're looking at 150 pages a month. So you literally could write a 300 page book in two months if you stay consistent and do it every month. So long term, my goal is I want to be, I want to write for a living. That's my sole purpose. And I also want to share everything that I've learned to authors that want, writers who want to be authors eventually. Because there's a lot more than just writing a story. I mean, mm-hmm. after you write the story, then you have to go through the editing. Then you have to go through, you know, the the marketing. Then you have to go through you know, the licensing. And then you have to go through the getting in the stores and the publishing. So there's this whole yep. process that most people have no idea is part of that process. Then are you going to go through trade publication, the classic traditional publication? Are you going to self-publish? So you have to go through the pros and cons. Do you want to go through a traditional and wait nine to 18 months for your book to ever hit the market? Or do you want to publish it yourself and get it out in, in a couple months and start making money markets yourself? And then there's most people write stories and don't know that there's actually formats on how to write the books. There's Freytag's uh, pyramid. There's a hero's journey. There's the Fretrian. There's all these different ways to write plots and structures and stories. And I want to learn from all the experiences and books that I've read and teach people the proper way to write books so that people can gain that same knowledge that I have and that same experience and fun and fulfillment in writing books. So mm. I hope that was, I know it was a little long winded, but I want to basically slim it down. I want to write for a living. And I also want to share to the next generation of writers to train them on the actual structure and skills to actually creating, editing, publishing, marketing, and knowing everything about in that entire process. Mm. There's a couple of things that stick out to me about your story. Um, The first is I wanted to say how it feels very uh, democratic in like the truest and purest sense of the world, of the word, how, how, um, how you would like your your words to be an inspiration to others who are thinking of doing the same um yeah so that's that's just the first thing that sticks out to me and the second thing is I just want to like remark about the inspiration I have um you know how inspired I am by the dedication you've uh you've shown over decades and decades and it also sounds like you've come back to this love to this passion over years over decades Decades, because yeah. I literally stopped for many years. There was one event I spoke about in a, a podcast with Lisa Russell of the story that happened. Mm-hmm. And after I you know, left the poetry world, that same year, I wrote the book. I had it published in December. And then after that, it was, I don't want to say I went to survival mode, but I went into, can I really make a living writing? And I was, it was a lot of self-doubt. There was a lot of things of, can I really do this? Will anyone care? Will anyone read my book? Will anyone believe in you know my ability to write? And I let that self, self-doubt kind of overwhelm my rational thought that, uh, that this is actually what you're good at. This is what you need to be pursuing. And it took a long time for me to realize COVID being one thing and also my brother passing away last March. Mm. And I started to realize that life is very short. My brother was 26, 27 mm-hmm. when he passed. And you never know when your day or time is going to come. So it hit me, you better do this now, or you may not have the opportunity because life is definitely not promised. Mm-hmm. So those two, and then COVID gave me the opportunity of working home. So I didn't, those three hours of commuting every day, I was able to write and I was able to focus and kind of self-reflect on what was really important to me. And I found that writing was what was truly important to me. And I didn't want to give that up. So I kind of went back to what I really wanted and love to do. What a wonderful reflection process. And what a wonderful way to spend the, you know, to spend your commute time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like so, it sounds like you, your book writing time is literally, like your commute time has literally become your book writing time. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Because if I write... I average about three, if I'm really in the flow, four pages an hour. 
So if I want to write five, six pages in a day, then that's about two to three hours. So if I dedicate two to three hours every day to write, then within two to three months, I can write whatever book, not including, you know, research and whatever else. So what I was doing when I was doing fairy, uh, Twisted Fairy Tales is I actually had pages on my iPhone mm-hmm. and I literally on the train, I wrote the first four chapters of Twisted Fairy Tales on pages on my cell phone. And then after COVID hit, then I was able to actually get in the flow and write on a computer. Hmm. But as I didn't make any excuses, because I know between a commute, by the time I got home, I didn't really want to do anything. I was going to make some excuse. So when I was on the train, I'm not doing anything anyway. So I would literally get my cell phone, super tiny letters. I would open up the pages app and I literally would write two to three pages a day on the train on my cell phone. Hey, man, that takes sincere dedication. I just want to like give you absolute props for that. Thank you. I definitely appreciate it. So mm. this is my signature question of the show. Um, life is never fair, and it is not always down the happy path. What was kind of one of the your darkest or more difficult moments in your total journey? And how did you cope and overcome that? Yeah, I feel like this question is wonderful. And it also, in some ways, inspires a Cinderella story of like, I rose myself out of the ashes. And, <laughs> and I am so powerful. And I'm like, I'll just tell you, like, I, I lost a, a member of my family um, a year after I dropped out of college. And, um, and they were like, so that was incredibly, incredibly difficult for me. Um, and I don't think I healed well from it. Like I, like the, the way that I dealt with it was, um, with that grief was just plowing on and doing as much work as possible to try to ignore the the pain. Um, so I don't have like a happy, lovely story here. I, and, and to this day, I mean, now I am in for a couple of years, I've been in, uh, in therapy, which I think has been absolutely wonderful in exploring parts of myself and parts of my own family dynamic and not continuing intergenerational trauma. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I don't want to weave like a happy Cinderella story. Cause like it, I didn't have one. I had a really shitty time and I, um, and I just did a lot of work to, to get through that. And um, yeah, so I don't coping have a mechanism good- was almost so the coping mechanism was almost drown yourself in work so you don't have to think about it in a way. Um, I've, I've actually done yeah. that. That's the only reason I'm saying. I've, yeah. I've actually done the same thing. Uh, when I was going through one of the situations that I went through, my coping mechanism was I actually went to the library mm. uh, for six months. So every Sunday I would go before they closed. They were open seven days a week. I would get seven books and then I would read a book a day. Every week, every day, I did that for six months. So I literally, my mind was so engulfed in all of these books that I was reading that I didn't have time to think about anything that happened before me. But I also used that opportunity kind of to, to build my, my knowledge set and my, my skill set by reading all those books. So in the working all the time uh, or drowning yourself in the work itself can also be beneficial because you, you get much better at it the more you do anything. But I, I can definitely understand. And therapy, I've actually gone through therapy with family, with myself, and that uncovered a lot of things and a lot of pains that I've had throughout my life. And I would highly recommend, I know it's cliche, or not cliche, taboo. You know, men aren't supposed mm. to go through therapy. Men aren't supposed to cry. I think that's one of the strongest things that uh, a man or any individual period can do. Because as long as you have that built up uh, pain and hurt and grief, you may not accept that it's affecting you in your life. Somewhere in your subconscious mind, it is. And if you're able to uncover those things, kind of bring them to light, deal with them, um, and actually get over them, you'll be much more at peace and you'll be able to, in, in my opinion, succeed a lot more in the things that you want to do because it's not holding you back. 
Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement. I'm also, um, I will say, uh, with my partner, we're on our fourth couples therapist, and it has done. We, my partner and I, like knew from the start, like we didn't join couples therapy because we, you know, because there were problems. We joined to be proactive. Um, right. I've known, like, <laughs> I knew very early on <laughs> that he was my human for life, um, and. And so anyway, I'm, I, I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I agree with you, James. Um, like my, my mom just like very cultural values. It's it, therapy does tend to be very taboo. And, um, but I think it's actually a, for me, I have it every week and it's wonderful. I got to go deep into one aspect of something that has frustrated me, um, and because they're paid to talk to me, I mean, like, you know, what is it? it lots of people ask, like, what's the difference between a therapist and a friend? And it's like, well, the therapist literally has 25 to 35 discussions a week. Their, their best thing is in asking you more questions. And it's not a, uh, it's not the, the stereotypical, like, well, how do you feel about this? But sometimes it is. Very often it is like, well, this situation happened and objectively it could be good. Like you're viewing this either in a good or bad lens. And it's like, how do you feel about this? And let's uncover like all of the relationships that have crafted you to make you feel like this. And, and anyway, I, 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 I also will say I have an excellent therapist um, that I pay way too much money for. Um, And she is the (laughs) best money that I ever spent. I, 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 I've, I, if she and I were like in patient client um, privilege, like she, I, I, one, I would tell her you her name. And then number two, I would like, she, she'd be like my best friend. Cause we just like, it's, it's a very wonderful relationship. Yeah. Anyway, that was a, that was a very long answer to your question. And I don't have a fairy tale story for you. And I'm sorry. Oh no, it's not always a fairy tale, but the thing is, it is something that we all go through and it's something at some point, everyone has to deal with something. It's just a matter of you have to find rather be a coping mechanism for the moment or until you get to a more stable place where you can get the therapy or you can get someone to support you and help you through those those pain and griefs to completely yeah. overcome and, and, and heal from whatever the situation was. So in yeah. that, I would definitely like to say, Elizabeth, it was, or Liz, it was definitely a, an absolute, <laughs> yeah, had the formalities. It was definitely a pleasure having her show. It always is. Definitely miss, you know, seeing the the, 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 the laughter and the, the personality over at Amex. So I, I it, it was great to have you here. It was so good to talk to you, James. Thanks for joining me for this episode of In the Woods. Be sure to sign up to our email list at moreinthewoods.com so that you don't miss uh, out on our next episode. And follow me at William Moore, the author, on all social media platforms. I'm James Woods, also known as William Moore. Thank you for listening.